Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The Fed holds tight. But are the 2020s the 70s? Suddenly things are looking similar. Oil, wages, I was gonna say unions, wages the scarier one. workers demanding more. Our Fed whisperer Steve Leisman weighs in. I think this is a really different environment from the 1970s. Put the bell-bottom jeans away, man. No, they're back too. The big short Steve Eisman says he believes the whole bank sector is uninvestable. He's staying far away. And about the Fed, well, he's not surprised. And everybody says we don't believe you. And finally, after the 15th time they say hire for longer, people say, okay, that's bet. Plus, CNBC's David Faber on Hollywood Studios and the Writers Union may be finalizing a deal, but it won't be easy. Streaming and the profitability associated with it at this point certainly are nowhere near what the cable ecosystem that we all have grown up with delivered in terms of profits and or uh, the ability for writers to live a decent life based on writing a good show. It's Thursday, September 21st. Is that fall? It is, first day. Oh my God. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Well, here we go. It's the morning after the Fed and uh, maybe a little bit of a hangover this morning if you take a look at what's been happening with the USA. First up today on the podcast, Don't Fight the Fed. Good afternoon, everyone. My colleagues and I remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. The central bank holding interest rates steady at the conclusion of its two-day meeting, skipping a rate increase and keeping the benchmark Fed funds rate at a range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent. Chairman Jay Powell offered what is probably his most optimistic guidance about the U.S. economy's ability to nail a soft landing, get through the process of bringing down inflation without doing deeper damage to the economy. Inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year and longer-term inflation expectations appear to remain well-anchored. Nevertheless, the the process of getting inflation sustainably down to 2% has a long way to go. Powell reiterated that restoring price stability, getting the inflation rate to a more palatable 2%, is the top priority of the central bank. And failing to do that has serious consequences for the economy. So, Rates remain higher for longer, and the markets didn't exactly love Powell's sort of optimistic but not really giving a lot away about the future presentation. Stocks slid, the S&P 500 ended the day down 0.9%, and the Nasdaq dropped 1.5%. That could be because the Fed is indicating one more rate hike, or maybe more likely it could be that people are really starting to try and wonder what longer for higher for longer is really going to mean when you look at interest rates. We had some conversations yesterday that, that to, to me were troubling, and I started thinking about things. Um, it, it was transitory. The supply chain part was right. transitory. But there's a maybe a, an underlying 
basal rate of inflation that really is higher, that's going to be harder to deal with, that it, that it has to do with what we're going to talk about in a second, crude. It reminds me now of, of the, you know, it's supposedly not like the Volcker era, but suddenly things are looking similar, at least rhyming. Oil, wages, I was going to say unions, wages is the scarier one. Workers demanding because more. if you get the wage price spiral that, that picks up and you are right. looking at, at higher wages, I think that's probably what the Fed is watching. And this. notice we've, we've paused a couple of times only to restart. Back, back then it was the stop, start. It, it was not putting a, a stake in the heart of, of it in the first place so right. that it, it a little bit stays and then it comes back and then you go higher stop again and it was the stop and start of the of the 70s that caused the uh, what finally happened so right. is that happening again oh well, i don't know but if you look at inflation in other parts of the globe it's much higher if you look at the uk they were always celebrating been, above six percent they don't have the dollar it's always right. been much higher that's that's what bugs me when when i hear someone three percent how about south america what do they average 30 percent not really but well, they're but used to they're used to dealing about, with much higher inflation and, and how much is a candy bar in zimbabwe i don't know i've never it's been a couple of trillion zimbabwean Z yeah. zimbabwe dollars yeah. i think it's up to a couple of it depends it's one of the bigger you know the candy bars are smaller now too so 100 100 gram bar the 100 grand bar costs a lot more. <laughs> a <laughs> exactly. Lot more than Good that. point. Crude oil price is actually sliding below $90 a barrel, and, and that's something to celebrate after what we've seen recently. At this point, 88.87, down another eight tenths of a percent. Hard to, you know, 77 cents, who knows? But a, a weaker economy would, would bring oil down, I would think, even though it's a supply issue. Yeah, well, it, it's a supply issue, but that it but also it you have respond. to consider demand with the rest of it. An update now on the writer's strike in Hollywood. David Faber reporting that after yesterday's face-to-face -face meeting, writers and producers were near an agreement to end the WGA strike. And people close to the negotiations say the two sides hope to finalize the deal today. The sources also, though, warned that without a deal today, the strike would likely continue uh, through year-end. Why? Like it, now or it's never? Yeah, that's what it sounds I, like. I know, I know they say if it gets into the holidays, that was the case, but I was thinking there was still a window in, in October that if you didn't get it done today, you could get it done by the middle of October. Are the actors... <laughs> we really know that the actors couldn't do anything without the writers. They'd be like, what do I say? What do I do? Kind of I like have news anchors. Yeah, kind of like news anchors. <laughs> kind of like news anchors. So if you do settle the writers, do the actors just say, okay, I'm reading my script, settle. I mean, is that... Um... No, because the actors have a, a tougher situation when it comes to AI, too. The, the AI situation for writers, you know the writers. That seems harder for writers. The actors, though. like Glenn Close, Max Headroom? Glenn Close told us last May when we talked to her that she has been asked to Name go dropper. In and... What, no, she told us. I said. Okay, all right. All right. She told us. I here don't remember on CBC. that. Yeah. <laughs> she, did. Right. she told us that it was going to be a. Um, she she'd been asked to do things where you go in and they want to film your whole body doing all kinds of different expressions so that they can then use you without ever having you there. I've done a number of movies now where you go into a little booth that's 360 degree camera, and you're asked to do 30 different expressions. <laughs> You know, smile. Wow. And they could totally recreate me. Yeah. Um, they could have an AI version of me. You know, to go like this and like, ooh, and then you think, I can do that in person. And I hope if you need it enough to go into that file, get me to do it. 
that's a big issue for, for the actors. If they can get around those issues and then making sure the same thing, like if the writer's strike will give them something to do with it comes to streaming. That will give them a template for what they'll be allowed to do. Right. Is there going to be more transparency? Are you Don't going you to be think paid if this for settles, having a The actors will follow, will read their script. And... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. I think that's sticking point's a different one, but yes, right. I do think it will be. Because right. they'll have a template for what to do with the streaming issue. Well, that's what you think. I think that they just take instructions from the writers as they... All right, read the prompter. This <laughs> appears to be the... Clo oh, yeah. This appears to be the closest the two sides have come to a resolution since the strike began on May 2nd. <sighs> Leesman. Steve Leesman uh, joins us now. Yesterday, Steve, I saw your band, Mud Crutch, totally on um, Sirius. You broke through, you made it to the big time. I, was, I almost took a picture of it to send it to you to say, I cannot believe it that you've made it mainstream now at this, at this point. I'm not sure what you're talking about, Joe. Are you reading the prompter as you're required to as, a, <laughs> as an anchor? Is it your other band, Mud Crutch? What, what is your other band? No, it's, it's, it's called the Moon Cussers. We've been dormant since the pandemic, so I'm not sure. I, what I, you're I'm at. sorry. I'm sorry. You, I, you, I was trying to. You, that's all right. Hey, hey, Steve. Are you worried about yeah. wage price spirals and oil shocks like the '70s? Now, is that where we are? That's what I'm worried about now. I'm worried about I'm not, stop. Start. I'm not, Joe. I think. I think. I think this is a really different environment from the 1970s. And that's what we've always said. A lot of those, suddenly, a lot of those analogies to the 70s kind of fall apart, Joe. I mean, it's like, I hope so. you know, put the bell-bottom jeans away, man. No, they're back, too. They're back, too. You should, I just got to pick. No, I didn't. Uh, but, but, Steve, what about the last two, what about the last point and a half or two points being impossible to get? Then they just got to move the, the goalposts of inflation. I mean, what about the last? No, I mean, I think, I, I think they can get there, Joe. I don't see why. I mean, you're, what you're asking is a pretty profound question, which is, can we go back to the uh, uh, low inflation world we had? Are the supply chains so different now? But, Joe, if, if you, I just want to talk about what I would call this. You know, the Fed left rates unchanged, but I think what they executed yesterday, you might call a virtual tightening. So what did they do? They, they continue to forecast another rate increase this year. Uh, they raised their average forecast for next year, and they boosted the growth outlook. Now, Powell, the Fed chair, explained that better growth uh, was really the reason why the, the, for the forecast for higher funds next year. Rather than pointing to a sense of inflation having become more persistent, I wouldn't think that's not... We've seen inflation be more persistent over the course of the past year, but I wouldn't say that's something that's appeared in the recent data. It's more about stronger economic activity. So here's the forecast, leaving the one more hike in there for this year, raising the funds forecast for next year. You can see that by a half a point for this year in 2025, essentially taking a, a half a point of cuts uh, off the table that they'd previously penciled in. At the same time, the Fed doubled the growth forecast to 2-1 this year, boosted the outlook for next year, along with lowering the unemployment rate. Overall, it showed more confidence in a soft landing, but also that officials believe no recession means higher rates. There's trouble ahead, though. Powell did say the Fed was looking at all these different things out there, including higher oil prices, a government shutdown, higher long-term yields, and the auto workers strike as well. But he said it's hard to know how much these factors, either by themselves or collectively, end up hobbling the economy. So two things real quick. Fed forecasts end up being wrong in all sorts of ways. 
But a surge in bond market yields in the wake of this meeting shows investors take the Fed's forecast for higher for longer pretty seriously right now. Also raises the question, in forecasting better growth and higher rates, is the Fed making a mistake here that could bring about the recession it's avoided so far? Joe? All right, Steve, here we, we are again. We're going to talk a lot about it today. We've got a lot of, of, of Fed speak uh, going on. The markets don't really like it so far. They were up for a while yesterday, closed down, down again today. What, what do you attribute that to, Steve? Just, I don't know. Just, just not, I mean, just malaise. Look, the, the, Fed, the, Fed, the Fed took away, you know, something that the market could trade on, which is the idea of potentially rate cuts next year. It was getting closer, this idea that the Fed was going to stop and that if inflation came down, rates would come down. And so you got to puzzle over the idea. Powell said it was more growth than it was inflation persistence. But it's also inflation persistence in there, that the idea that the, the, the average Fed person thinks inflation is going to stay higher or it's going to require more rate hikes to bring inflation down. I think the reason why things are different from the 70s, Joe, is the Fed's pretty resolute about bringing inflation down. Um, it has pretty good political support on this. And the economy has done a lot better in, in the wake of uh, these rate hikes so far. Um, and so I, I, think, I think so far we're avoiding the worst parts of the 70s, which is high rates and stagnant growth. We're going to print a pretty strong number in the third quarter. Growth is average at potential or above. So it's not the 70s yet. Not that it couldn't become the 70s. And what would make that if the Fed gave up the ghost on fighting inflation? Then it would be the 70s. Then it would have to come back, and that Steve, would be a real shock to the it can be the thir- It can be half the 70s. It can be the 35s is what I'm saying. We don't need to go to 21 and a half. <laughs> we don't have to go to 21 and a half. That's the depression, Joe. That's the depression. Becky mentioned our interview with actor Glenn Close. That was earlier this year on site at the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. Check out the show notes for this podcast today. We'll include a link to that full episode with Glenn there. And the show notes regularly include links to further reading or other episodes, as well as time cues for when individual guest interviews start. That has all come directly from listener feedback. So please, don't be shy. Tell us what you think about Squawk Pod in a review on Apple Podcasts. Tweet us. Whatever works. Now, coming up next on Squawk Pod, The Big Short's Steve Eisman, Newberger Berman Portfolio Manager, on what the data is telling him about a possible recession. This is a very humbling business. You could be right one day, you could be wrong the next, you could be right and wrong on the same day. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. 
In this year plus of watching the Federal Reserve's aggressive march against inflation, that steady, well, with a pause or two, increase in interest rates, during all that time, one question stays constant. Is a recession coming? Will the policy to tamp down high prices be so intense that the economy responds with a painful slowdown? Joe Kernan and Becky Quick spoke today on our TV broadcast with Steve Eisman, Portfolio Manager at Newberger Berman. In a past life, Eisman shot to fame by shorting collateralized debt obligations to profit from the implosion of subprime mortgage loans. This was all part of the financial crisis and its brewing in 2008. He was a key character in the Michael Lewis book, The Big Short, and was portrayed by actor Steve Carell in the Oscar-winning movie of the same name. Today, on a Fed morning after, Steve Eisman sat down on the Squawk Box set. And Steve, there's been a lot we've been talking about this morning, um, just concerns and jitters after the Fed came out with a message that maybe the market's not quite prepared for. If you start thinking through that, okay, rates are going to be higher for longer. We have to figure out what that means. It's coming at a time where oil prices are up again. You've got a number of strikes taking place, wages likely to go up from here. I don't know if I'd call it a spiral, but certainly go up significantly. And Goldman Sachs yesterday coming out and saying they're looking at the biggest profits plunge since the pandemic, just in terms of what to expect from companies' earnings in the first quarter. They're going to be down sharply because margins are going to get squeezed pretty tightly. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of scary news. You can understand the red arrows it's this morning, but that, what do you it's think? It's not that scary. Okay, talk <laughs> and, us through and, it. And first of all, I'm sort of amused by people's reactions to the Fed. Every single meeting, the Fed says rates are going to be longer for higher, and everybody doesn't believe them. And now this time they finally believe them. Wait, I mean, longer for higher? How does that work? Higher for longer. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> Because people are cautious, they optimistic, or optimistically <laughs> no, they cautious. They say hire for longer every yeah. time, and everybody says we don't believe you. And finally, after the 15th time, they say hire for longer. People say, okay, that's bad. Okay, I mean, maybe maybe that's they're just hitting reality, which is if it's not higher for longer, it's going to be because a recession is starting to set in, and the economy's turned down pretty significantly. And neither of those are great options. I mean, I don't see it that way. I mean, okay. at this point, everybody's basically been wrong about the economy. You know, people who are negative are positive. People who are positive were negative. There's no, I mean, look, there's an economist I really respect, Ed Hyman. And a few months ago, Ed went negative and said there's a recession coming. And I saw him a week or so ago, and even he admits there's no actual evidence that a recession is coming. He just thinks it's coming. So, you know, this what is changed, a, What changed his mind? Is there a C.J. Lawrence still around? Is that what No, no, doing? he's with the Evercore. Evercore. Okay. Um, I mean, he just thinks rates are going to... Um, eventually cause the economy to go into recession. Like but, people been, but people have been saying that for the last year and a half. So, look, I'm not an economist. This is a very humbling business. You could be right one day. You could be wrong the next. You could be right and wrong on the same day. You know, at this point, there's no evidence it's a recession is coming at all. Maybe it is, but yeah, until they, when? Everybody do they need relax. A, but do they need a recession to, to break the back of inflation? If it doesn't, I mean, at this point, it doesn't seem like they do. So it'll come down... I mean, look, like I said, I'm an economist. I'm totally data-driven. You know, at this point, inflation is coming down, the economy is strong, and people are getting hysterical because the Fed says that rates are going to be higher for longer. So I'm not so hysterical. What, what do you think when you see the market? You see prices where they are. Do you see bargains in abundance? I mean, some, you... some are starting to develop again. You know, there's been a correction. Maybe there'll be more of a correction. You call but... what we've been through a correction at this point? A little correction. Yeah, it's pretty modest. <laughs> Maybe there'll be more. You know, tech has had something of a correction. 
you know, if there's a correction, at this point, since I don't see a recession company, I'm more inclined to say they're buying opportunities and shorting opportunities, so except see, in the banking sector. Okay. Let's talk buying opportunities, and then we'll get back to the banking sector. Where do you see buying opportunities? I mean, I think there's some infrastructure companies that are coming in. You know, the money that the government is going to be spending is just been a trickle this year. It's really going to come in starting next year. I mean, if you speak to the companies, they'll all say, it's really not having any impact on our earnings yet, but a lot of plans are being drawn up. You know, I expect 2024 and 2025 to be massive years for infrastructure type companies. So I know you can't a, talk individual stocks, yeah. but infrastructure at large. Yes, I mean, aggregates, road building, factory building, automation, eventually someday solar will come back. Um, you know, kind of in that whole area, reshoring, greenification, Etc. You like bonds at all? Short, long, muni, I'm not, corporate. I, I, I'm not. Sh I don't short anymore. I'm not yep. short bonds. I find. No, uh, I mean short duration, long duration. I what like, would you buy? I like relatively short duration. Five years. Nothing more than five years. Five year uh, co uh, corporates uh, or, or treasuries or munis. Or I what? like you know for our, some of our clients that have cash, we've bought some. Call it five year duration corporate bonds. What quality? Like high quality. High quality. And um, what can you get there? Over five. Over five. But the, the interesting thing is that you can get over five just for buying a three-month treasury. And even in our money market fund, you can get over five months. But then three months from now, you might not But get it might not. So yeah. you're, taking, you're taking risks there. But, you know, a combination of the two is if we're in a, in a client's account or some variation thereof at this point for those who have cash, I think is a good thing to sit and wait on that stuff. The, the very thing that makes you positive about some of these infrastructure plays, the idea that a lot more government spending is going to really kick in, could that um, just hurt in terms of inflation, just the continued spending that comes through? Um, we'll see. Like I said, I'm not an economist. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I doubt it, but I don't have any evidence at this point. What else do you like? Well, I don't like banks, that's for sure. Okay, what, what about banks? Is it the... Underlying credit issues. It's uh, not so much rates. the credit issues. Okay, then it's, it's um, the regulatory. I actually think, I, if I could be somewhat blunt, from a not from a trading perspective. I mean, if you want to buy Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs because you think investment banking is going to come back a little bit, and it's a trade, fine. I happen to think the whole banking sector is uninvestable. Why? Um, one, even though deposits are down year over year around six percent, that's mostly concentrated in the medium to small cap banks. Um, the deposits in the banking industry are still two trillion above trend. Mm -hmm. It's still going to come out. You know, if rates go higher, it's going to come out faster. So the idea that net interest margins are going to bottom anytime soon, I just think is wrong. Um, the other thing is that the new regulations that have come out increase the amount of capital that the banks have, which I actually think is the wrong thing that the regulators are doing. Um, which is something that Jamie Dimon has said recently, but it's going to hurt the earnings and return equities of the banks. Unfortunately, I don't think any of the CEOs, including Jamie Dimon, have any credibility with respect to regulation, with respect to the regulators, Why? which is unfortunate. Um, you know, if you go back to after Dodd-Frank, um, the first uh, vice chair of financial supervision, which is just a fancy term of saying bank regulators, would Daniel Tarullo. Mm -hmm. He's on today. What's that? Oh, is he really? Yeah. So I'm going to give a big compliment for him to be on today. Which well, you could, maybe we, we'll you cut could, a, sa cut a sound bite. Well, yeah. the sound bite is that he's the greatest banking regulator in the history of the United States, and no one's even a close second. So between 2010 and 2016, he accomplished three things. 
He crushed the leverage of the banking industry by more than half. He reduced the risks that they had on their balance sheets. And, he, and for the large banks, he dramatically increased the amount of liquidity that they had to have. That's why, when, during the whole Silicon Valley debacle, none of the large banks had any significant problems because the rules required them to have so much liquidity. I bet some of those CEOs would take issue and say, "Well, we they could have take done that issue ourselves. as much as they want," yeah. but that's that's really what happened. Um, they're not that much smarter than regional banks. They just were not. They could not buy that many long-term bonds because they had such high liquidity issues. Now, during, during this whole time, yep. as Tarullo did this, did the banking industry say, thank you, you're doing the right thing? No, they beat him up relentlessly. You're making us reduce our leverage too much. You're making us narrow our risk too much. The liquidity requirements are too high. This happened every year. They beat him up every single year. So at this, and, and you know what it turned out? I think every single one of them would admit today that they were 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. So, so you don't have a problem with, with the duration mismatch liabilities with, with banks. You just think deposits are going to continue to, well, to leave. Continue. The, the, and, the yeah. thing with Silicon Valley was not just that, they, that their balance sheet was upside down because they had bought very, a lot right, of long-term right, right. bonds. It was, a bank can withstand that if they don't lose deposits. What happened was because right. the venture capitalists pulled up, they, they had to, had to, they had to market to And market. they crystallized yeah. okay. their losses. Right. But you it. don't have that in the large cap banks. Because, I mean, not to say they don't have any. I mean, Bank of America has about $100 billion of its balance sheet that is like that. But within the, right. of, within the context of Bank of America, that's a, that's a small earnings problem as opposed to a sustainability problem. But unfortunately, like I said, I mean, the, the bank regulators this time are right. The, the regulators should not be focusing on raising capital requirements. They should be focusing on raising the liquidity requirements for the mid-cap and small-cap banks, but they're doing the opposite. It's, it's kind of like the old slogan, generals like to fight the last war. Right. Steve, I want to thank you for coming in today. We'd love to hear more about banking, so come back again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave yet. I, I always do that. God. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to get, is it that unpleasant? A little hot. Getting more in book. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, is there an end in sight to the crippling Hollywood strikes? Maybe. Studio heads and members of the Writers Guild met yesterday, and the mood is optimistic. There could be a happy Hollywood ending. CNBC's David Faber reports. What I picked up from both sides was a level of optimism that they had not seen in the past, and a hope that they can finalize something as soon as today. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back uh, to Squawk Box. Uh, this is CNBC, right? Yeah, we're on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site. It has got to be CNBC because we're actually doing business news. Guess what? You're Joe Kernan. Yeah, I'm Joe Kernan. <laughs> do you hear what I said? Because we actually do do. We, we actually cover business news on a business channel. Becky Quick is here. Andrew is off today. Disney CEO Bob Iger is vowing to quiet the noise around the culture war that has pitted the company against political leaders. That's according to a presentation by Iger to analysts that was reported by Needham. 
The company has been embroiled in a battle with Florida and its governor, Ron DeSantis, over the state's rules on schools teaching sexual orientation and gender. That battle has grown into a fight over Disney's development of property around its Florida theme park. Um, and it's been something that I don't think either side has fared very well with. Uh, I think you that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, we were talking about that. It's a lose-lose, it, it looks like. Because, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into whether a candidate gains traction. And it, I mean, obviously, that it's been well reported that uh, Governor DeSantis has fallen in a lot of the polls and is... Disney uh, stock is down too. And, and Disney stock for, for a lot of reasons, but this probably doesn't... And that looks to me like kind of a, not a retreat, but certainly you know, saying like you're it. not going to be out in front. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, if were. you can quiet things down, if you can get out of that. I don't think any company wants to be embroiled in the middle of it. And in fairness, some of this started, or all of it started before Iger came back. It probably would have been handled differently originally had he been there. Um, but it's been a tricky situation, and both sides have amped I mean, things up to such honestly, crazy levels. Honestly, I don't just tie it to the, the, the part of the stuff of Chapek and, and DeSantis. I tie it to almost some of, just some of the backlash to just how woke Disney is across the board in a lot of different ways. It's probably a fair statement. I mean, it, you look at, that's what I said. They, they, what are they going to have at the theme parks? All their old characters are canceled. And, well, maybe now with the strike being set, they can get some new characters, but um, I don't know. I don't know. No, nobody's perfect. We can't erase everything that's happened in the, in the past. No, and, and look, if you're trying to calm down the noise around a political situation, that's something you can control versus a lot of things you can't. Right. David Faber uh, joins us now. I, I guess it's not totally out of the blue. Did you have an inkling uh, before you started hearing about this yesterday that, that there was, I, I, I was uh, pessimistic uh, about it. And, and it, what happened, David? You know, uh, they've had some very constructive meetings, in particular yesterday, Joe. But I had been hearing at least some hopes that face-to-face, uh, -face, and they had met face-to-face -face in late August, but face-to-face -face meetings would bring a breakthrough. Now, again, you don't want to get too ahead of yourself here, but... Late yesterday, uh, a number of uh, people in the writing community I know seemed very optimistic. That may have been tempered a bit by a memo that then went out and said, hey, we met today, we're meeting tomorrow. But nonetheless, did get me to make a bunch of calls. And, and I, you know, what I picked up from both sides, from people close to the negotiations on both sides, was a level of optimism that they had not seen in the past. And a hope that they can finalize something as soon as today. Um, they're meeting at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Um, again, and the expectation is that there are very few items left that they really need to nail down. Now, if that were not going to be the case, if the writers come back in, apparently, as I've been told, with a longer list of what they say are open items, that might stall things significantly or even might result in a, again, uh, walking away of the two sides for some period of time, Joe. So. You know, you never want to get fully ahead of yourself, but without a doubt yesterday, and again on both sides, more optimism certainly than I've sensed uh, in terms of speaking to people around this. Nobody giving me the specifics in terms of what's been offered and or already accepted, but you can imagine obviously some of the key issues if you want to take a look back at what the writers had to say in late August when those talks sort of didn't quite get there, didn't really get to the finish line, but did make some progress. You can get a sense, obviously residuals, AI, uh, a number of other uh, streaming, certainly uh, so important here. Um, 
9 a.m. today. We'll see, you know, if they can get it, get it to the finish line. David, um, we had spoke with Matt Bellany from Puck earlier this week, and he had a theory that I'd talked to some other people about um, off the record, and they kind of agreed with it. Uh, just this idea that transparency was going to be a big part of it, that that would be the thing that they had to kind of give on, the idea that they, streaming services will have to tell the writers how much money they're making on each, which is the most successful so that they can get paid more like they would have in the old days when these things went into syndication or different things, that that was going to be the big sticking issue, not finding some pay increase between 4 and 8%, that that's not a big deal. Writer's room, probably not something that would be there, but that would be the main sticking point. Uh, is that the sense you've gotten from the people you've talked to around this too? You know, Becky, it's certainly been a key issue, but I don't know specific to yesterday and what progress was made about that particular issue. I can re uh, refer to... Uh, what we heard from the writers in late August, which was that at that point, the companies, and Ted Sarandos is in the room, of course, from Netflix, um, and Netflix has been known as perhaps the most reluctant to give up any real information to its creators, to its writers, uh, and to those who, who work on its shows. They did say at that point they'd gotten a major concession because six WGA staff would be allowed to have limited streaming viewership data for the next three years, the idea being that they could come back in 2026 and ask once again for, for viewership-based residuals. But again, that even that didn't seem to get quite there, um, whereas they do seem to have had what I'm told are some breakthroughs yesterday. Hey, David, the, the, we talk about the Hollywood strikes. Um, they're not the same, but or are they the same? If this happens, would it still be possible that we were talking about the, the actor strike like into next year, or, or does one follow the other? And, the writers, I don't, you know, there's no Fran Drescher, you know, screaming about, you know, we the, you know, workers unite against Cap. I don't know. She, she's right. so out there that I don't know whether you can bring that back in. I never heard sort of the, the, the writers weren't quite as, uh, I don't know, confrontational. Is the other one going to follow suit? Do you I hear, think, that's, do you think that's the hope on the producer's side. That's the hope, Joe. Uh, but, you know, whether or not that actually occurs is unclear. Really? They have been talking again, mm -hmm. right, uh, I believe. But uh, I think that is the, the hope. The, the, the fear is that if you don't get something done in this, in this near-term time period, let's call it early fall here, that this yeah. thing goes through the end of the year. It's not good and for then, anyone, David. I, and it, uh, it's the same in the outsized profits for, that streaming was going to bring and that you know, content right. is king forever. It's a different world than it was two years ago. Totally. Everybody, we kind of need to work together here. And I think the yes. same way with the UAW. I mean, it's, they're very similar, Joe. The two, I know. In the sense I've been of you're, that. you're dealing with two industries in the midst of major transition, right? And 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 obviously workers asking for for more, or in the case of the writers, for perhaps as much as they used to have, but right. in that case, not recognizing that streaming and the profitability associated with it at this point certainly are nowhere near what the cable ecosystem that we all have grown up with right. delivered in terms of profits and or uh, the ability for writers to live a decent life based on right. writing a good show. Is it too cynical to say that the actors are, once a writer settles, oh, I got a script here. The writers, it's, okay, I'm going to read this now. And that, that, that's not, we shouldn't really pigeonhole actors into that, should no. we? Well, you can, but I'm not going to say anything. I can, but I'm not going to either, I said. No, oh, okay. I said I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And you're not either. David, no. thank you. You're welcome. They're, they're, I don't, they're wrapping hey, David, this you, with you know what I told people. him before? Go back to reading the prompter. Right? Go back to reading the prompter <laughs> that a writer wrote, which we don't do.
And that's Squawk Pod for today. As always, thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Please tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Or podcast listeners know that the very best of our TV show is right here, every day, in an easy-to-listen-to format on Squawk Pod. Follow us, tell a friend, spread the word. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. Hey there, I'm Brad. I'm about to win the Tuesday Night Bowling League Championship. I'm also a highway worker for the Ohio Department of Transportation. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can bowl the winning strike with my buddies. Remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. 